Great is your faithfulness, Lord. What a wonderful time of worship we've had this morning, isn't it? Really a real sense of God's presence. Uh, this is our time for those new amongst us of uh, corporate worship, or corporate prayer, should I say. We've had corporate worship. And it's a time when we gather and bring um, different uh, prayers to God and uh, different personalities come to present it in the way that God leads them. But this morning I just felt that, uh, you know, we're living in very troubled times and uh, I thought that it would be nice that we would reflect on some words that have been around for hundreds, in fact thousands of years and they're still the same today as they were uh, hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And so I just want to read a few passages from uh, three Psalms um, and uh, just uh, reflect on that. And at the end of it, we're going to stand and just have a, a moment of quiet. I'm going to start with uh, Psalm 37. This is one of King David's. If you know King David, he got into all sorts of trouble, but he had a heart for God. And he, he, um, he encourages these words. And when we look around the world, he says, Do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. For they, like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. But trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your ways to the Lord, trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. But refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It only leads to evil. And then it goes on for several verses about what happens to the, to the evil people. That uh, like grass, they're just going to disappear. You look for them and they're gone. And then he goes on, and I relate to this as Richard was talking about, <laughs> I was young and now I'm old, <laughs> yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. They are always generous and lend freely and their children will be a blessing. They turn from evil and do good. And then uh, another verse, hope in the Lord and keep his ways. He will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are destroyed, you will see it. So all these promises, let our future draw us from our present. We're going somewhere and the promises of God. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. I was very drawn to Psalm 43. And it's just a short psalm. Uh, but it's, a, again, a psalm. What I love about the psalms is they're honest. They tell us where we're at. And this guy who wrote this psalm, uh, it was actually a bit depressed. And he was thinking God had abandoned him. And he said, Vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against the unfaithful nation. We live in an unfaithful nation, don't we? We once were a nation that followed God. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send me your light, your faithful care. Let them lead me, your light and your care. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, the place to where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my joy, my delight. I will praise you with the lyre, O God. Why, my soul, are you downcast? And I'm sure all of us have felt that from time to time, haven't we? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for yet I will praise him my saviour and my God. And just finally, 
Psalm 46, which God spoke to me many, many, many years ago. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake in their surging. But there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice and the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Please stand with me. What wonderful words, Lord, as we think there's hundreds and hundreds of years old, they're relevant today, oh God. And Lord, as uh, we pray that you'd help us to balance the fear generated by the media and let the truth that you are the sovereign God who rules from eternity and have our future secured. Help us, Lord, to be still and trust you. So let's just be still for a moment and ask God to forgive us where we've lost our focus. As the King Jehoshaphat prayed, as uh, surrounded by a huge army, and he said, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Let's just turn our eyes to the Lord. Be still. What a privilege this morning, our oh God, to sing your praises from our hearts. To know, Lord, whatever our minds tell us, our hearts is the place where your peace rules and reigns. Lord, thank you that you've promised to be with us despite the trouble of this world. We thank you that you are the rock of our salvation. We thank you, Lord, as we can put our trust in you. Lord, your peace can rule and reign. We praise you for that. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came as the Prince of Peace to rule and reign in our hearts. We bless your name. Amen. Thank you, Mike, for leading us. Be still and know that I'm God. I think we need to hear that time and time again, don't we, in our business of life, to just be still and know that he is God. He is in control. He does what he does. Um, and wasn't it, I just want to add my uh, thanks to Kathy for leading us in worship this morning. I just had a sense of a, you know, God's presence amongst us, really encouraged as we worshipped together. Um, and if, if you uh, want more encouragement, can I encourage you to look up what's happening uh, in America at the moment? There's a, a university over there, the Ashbury Revival, uh, and it started by a group of young people who uh, got together in a chapel 
and one lad started confessing his sins and the Spirit of God has fallen and not last Wednesday, the Wednesday before they started and they haven't stopped worshipping since. It's just an ongoing worship service and it's just beautiful to see the move of God happen without hype. There's no motivational speaker, there's no lights, it's just people coming and worshipping the God who is and a lot of people just coming to faith. And it's just a really real encouragement. So uh, if you haven't sort of looked at that, I encourage you to do that. Uh, my name is Sam Barnes. If you're new uh, to the church, I just want to welcome you. Uh, if you're watching online for the first time, I want to welcome you as well. And uh, hope that you're uh, having a sense of what God is doing amongst us as a church family. Uh, this morning, uh, Kathy talked about the fact that I'm going to be talking about the power of our own testimony. And I actually want to give time at the end of the service where you might have your own testimony that you're feeling like the Lord is asking you to share, to be an encouragement to us all. Uh, So as I speak, uh, you might feel the nudge from the Holy Spirit that, yes, I feel like it's right for me to briefly share my, my testimony. I'm going to need to be brief this morning. That's a joke. Uh, no, I'm going to have to be. I'm going to have to go through because I do want to make make time for that at the end. Uh, we are going through the book of Acts as a teaching series. It's it's really sort of going verse by verse, and we're we're pulling out from it what the Lord is saying to us as a church, but also saying to you personally as you read the Word of God, because all of the Word of God is good for for teaching and rebuking and building up. And so as you read certain sentences, they sort of jump out at you and, uh, and God speaks to you. And we trust that that's going to be the same sense today. Um, we're just going to finish off the end of chapter 21. So if you've got your, your Bibles open, because that's going to set the scene for Paul sharing again his testimony. And then we're going to draw out a few things from that. So we are at the end of the third missionary journey Paul and his travelling companions sent from Antioch, uh, spent most of their time in the uh, Ephesian church. Uh, He spent a lot of time with the elders at Miletus. And then Paul had a heart. uh, He set his eyes, in a way, towards Jerusalem. Paul wanted to go to Jerusalem uh, because he had a heart for his own people. He wanted them to hear the gospel in the same way that the Gentiles had been coming to faith. He wanted his own people, the Jewish people, to finally accept that Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. So he, he went there. Last week, we heard that when he got there, he heard about a bad reputation about himself. And so James and the, the other leaders in Jerusalem said, hey, we've got this idea to get your reputation back up with the Jews go through all these uh, purification rites and show the Jews here that you're, you're not a bit wacky, you're, you're one of us still. So Paul actually went through with those purification rites to kind of get on board with the Jews uh, in order to, to preach to them. And that's where we left off last week. So after the seven days of that, those rites were over some Jews from the province of Aegis. Now these are the Jews that Uh, would come back to Jerusalem for the festivals. We're now in Passover again, and we're going to see some correlation between what happened with Jesus is what is actually going to happen to Paul as well at the same time, uh, the same festival. So the Jews who were in all of the 
the provinces where he'd go into a town, he'd preach first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. The Gentiles would be saved and, and amazing things happens, but the Jews didn't like it and they'd chase him out of the town and then go to the next town and they'd follow him and then the Jews from that town would chase him out. And so there's this angry mob who's been after Paul for many, 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 many years. And those Jews are now in Jerusalem for the Passover and some Jews, when it says, are those Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul in the temple and they stirred up the whole crowd and seized him shouting fellow Israelites help us this is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law and this place now of course that wasn't true because Paul had a great love and he was a Jew of all Jews and he had a love for this place and besides he has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian in the city with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him to the temple. Now what's going on is they've been after Paul and they they want to trap him. They want to do something in which they can finally get rid of him. And so how can they do that? They can bring about a false accusation of Paul. And it's a bit like a a policeman planting evidence uh, in this situation because none of this actually happened. They just assumed it. They'd seen Trophimus, an Ephesian, with Paul in the marketplace. So they're having a taco in the, the cafes in Jerusalem. They, they see Paul with this guy. And so because he's with them, now they see Paul in the, in, the, in the temple. They're assuming that his mate is with them and he's in the temple defiling him. And now you might say, well, how, how is that possible? Uh, the, the temple complex was a 36-acre platform. It's Massive when you think about that. We just got some land and think about how much 36 acres is. Huge flat plain. In the centre was the Holy of Holies where the, the presence of God was. And then outside of that was the court of, uh, of Israel where Jewish men and the priests could go. And then there was a boundary and another court further out where the Jewish women could go or the treasury it was called. And around this was a perimeter about this high and everywhere around the perimeter was this inscription on the, the wall. And this is a, an example of the, the inscription. So can someone read that for me? No? Okay, I'll, I'll read it for you. It says, Foreigners must not enter inside the balustrade or into the forecourt around the sanctuary. Whoever is caught will have himself to blame for his ensuring death. Bit of a warning. So the Jews took very seriously the fact that the inner courts were only for Jews. And if Gentiles entered that place, they defiled the, the, in the entire temple. Now, the Romans were occupying at the time and they took away uh, the Jewish leaders' rights for capital punishment. But the one law that they allowed to remain was this law that they took so very, very seriously. So if you want to trap someone, if you want to actually finally get hold of Paul and actually get him killed, this is the one to accuse him of because the Romans will allow public execution for breaking that rule. But he didn't break it. So because of this, you know, this rule, the whole city was aroused and people came running from all directions, seizing Paul. They dragged him from the temple and immediately shut the gates. And while they were trying to kill him, 
news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in uproar. Now, the, the, the Romans, particularly the commanders, they did not like riots. They did not like um, things out of place. Uh, you might have heard of the term Pax Romana. The Romans were very good at keeping peace. And they quickly shut down anything that was going to cause anything for, for rioting. And so the commander heard about it. At once he took off, took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. And when the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, whoo, they stopped beating Paul. Okay, that's good police presence there, right there. Um, but obviously Paul was the reason for this commotion. So they, they did what they needed to do. They needed to get the, the reason for the commotion out of the city. So the commander came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound in two chains. Now, last week, do you remember the prophecy that was given to Paul by the, by the prophet that came? He took down his belt and he, he bound it with his hands and his wrists and he said, this is the way you're going to be handed over. So this prophecy is now coming fulfilled and from this point in time, Paul is going to remain in chains for the rest of his life. So he is in two chains. Then he is asked who he is and what he has done. Some in the crowd shouted one thing, some another. And since the commander could not gather the truth because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. And when Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great that he had to be carried by the soldiers. So we've got our first uh, crowd surfer sort of being, being carried by the soldiers away from the crowd, and, but the crowd kept shouting, get rid of him, or some of your translations would say, crucify him. Now what, what's fascinating is what we're seeing happen to Paul is exactly what happened to Jesus at exactly the same time in, the, in his life. He's brought into the barracks, which is the Antonio Fortress. So on the side of the, uh, the temple was this, this fortress built by the Romans, built by Herod, uh, so that the, the legions could, to, could look over the crowd, particularly during the festivals when there's lots of people in the city because they don't like riots. And so they would have these station commanders and, and centurions up there to, to make sure that everything's taking place. And this is where uh, Pontius Pilate was when Jesus is dragged into the Antonia Fortress. And now the new commander is dragging Paul into the very same place. And we know that uh, Jesus was there with Pontius Pilate and he said, I find nothing wrong with this man. And the crowd shouted, crucify him. And exactly the same thing is happening now to Paul. So as the soldiers were about to take Paul into this Antonio fortress, he asked the commander, may I say something to you? It's very polite. (laughs) Do you speak Greek? He replied, this is the commander. And aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt? Now, I don't have time to go into this, but Josephus, the the Jewish historian, talks about three years earlier, uh, some terrorists who came in and, and the leader of that got away and they were looking for him. And he sort of assumed that Paul was this guy. And Paul says, no, I am a Jew from Tarsus of Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. Let me speak to the people. Now, if you're being chased down, you're having to be crowd surfed away from the crowd because people are throwing stones at you. They're wanting to kill you. Would you want to go back? (laughs) This shows Paul's heart for his own people. he's, He's breaking over their rejection of the message of Jesus. 
And even though they're trying to get rid of him, he wants to go back to speak to them. He's got this crowd, he's got this audience. Let me speak to the people. And after receiving the commander's permission, Paul stood before the steps and motioned to the crowd. And when they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic, brothers and fathers, listen to my defence. Now what is interesting is that is exactly the same way that Stephen started his defence. Paul was there holding the, the clothes and, and, say, and he was accepting the martyrdom of Stephen. And Stephen started with brothers and fathers, listen to my defence. And Paul now, potentially in honour of that moment, says exactly the same thing. Brothers and fathers, listen to my defence. And when he heard them speak in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Oh, he's going to talk. He's going to talk in our language. Now, the word there, defence, is the Greek word that we get our English word apologetics from. Uh, Now, apologetics, you might be like me when I was young in the faith. I thought apologetics mean that you had to apologise for your faith because it sort of sounds similar, doesn't it? It's not saying, oh, sorry, I'm a Christian. Uh, Apologetics is a reasoned, logical defence for the Christian faith. And if there was anybody who would be qualified to give a reasoned and logical defence, it would be Paul. He was educated. Uh, He spoke many languages. He was an expert in the Old Testament law. So here's Paul's chance to basically prove that Jesus is the Messiah from the Old Testament. He knew them off by heart. He could go back through the scriptures. He could do this eloquent intellectual speech proving that Jesus is the Messiah because that's potential. Like he, He's the guy, right? So here's my defence. Okay, we're all preparing for this great talk, this great speech. Here it comes. He's going to go through the Old Testament prophets. He's going to pull out the, the reasons why Jesus is the Messiah. No. Paul gives his testimony as his defence. Now, I think that's just amazing but it also reminds us of the power of our own testimony. That your story can affect other people. Your story of what God has done in your life can encourage others and to remind them of the truth of who the gospel is, and that can be an apologetic. So Paul's defence... His apostolic approach was to give his testimony. I came across this great quote from a a singer who said, share your story with someone, you never know how one sentence of your life story could inspire someone to rewrite their own. I thought, how profound is that? Just by sharing your story, they can pick up one sentence and it might be the catalyst for them rewriting their own story of faith in God. So this is what Paul does. Now, we have heard Paul's testimony before in Acts chapter 9. So, again, we're going to speed through it. But um, there are three points to really anybody's testimony, and Paul uses these three points in his own testimony. And and you might, as you want to prepare and think about your own testimony, as you want to share with people around you, that there is a time before Christ, there is 
a event or there is something that happens in your life where you meet Christ. It's a conversion event. And then you've got your life now as a Christian, as a follower. So there's what my life was like, who I was, an event that happened that changed and transformed me. And now because of that, this is the life I live. And it's different from that life before. Very simple. Three simple points. And that's what he does. Here's his life before he met Christ. Then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia. Brought up in this city, I studied under Gamaliel. So he was a well-known teacher. In fact, he's got his own writings and he said something about Paul. He said, the only issue I have with Paul is I couldn't give him enough books to read. (laughs) And I was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as many of you are today. Like, I was one of you guys. I thought like you. I, I reasoned like you. And I persecuted the followers of the way, the Christians, to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. As a high priest and all the council of themselves can testify. They know about this. If you go ask them, they knew what sort of a guy I was. And I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. Before Christ, I was a badass. That's what he's saying. I was, I was, I was mean. I was nasty. I, I killed people who was of the way. And I would have remained that way, but something happened to change me. Something happened to transform my life. Part two. About, about noon, I came near Damascus and suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. Now, if you go to Acts chapter 9, you might think there's a bit of a contradiction there because he said that other people did hear the voice. But the word there, heard, means comprehend. So they heard a noise, but they didn't comprehend what the voice was. So it might be a bit like if you came around to my house first thing in the morning, if you hear me talk, you might hear noise, but you might not comprehend what I'm saying. (laughs) So that's the sort of noise that they heard. But Paul could understand what he was saying. So it's Jesus who is speaking to him. And he says, what shall I do, Lord? Now, there is a sign of a true conversion where, where the, the question first out of a person's lips is, I now want to live my life for you. You've changed me. My life is now no longer my own. It's lived for you. And we sang about about that this morning. And he said, get up and go to Damascus. Now, Jesus is there speaking to him. And he asks a question, what shall I do? Now, why doesn't Jesus give Paul his 10-year plan? Like, okay, Paul, here's what's going to happen. You're going to spend, well, the first 10 years of his life, he got his life straight. He, he went and sort of re-studied the word and got his, his ideas about Christ right. It was 10 years before he went into ministry. So why didn't you give him his 20-year plan? 
okay, you're going to go sent around, you're going to go on three missionary journeys, you're going to be stoned in this place, you're going to be lowered down from a basket over there, they're going to chase you out from there, uh, you're going to be nearly dead, but then you're going to go back into the city. Like, why didn't Jesus say all these things to Paul right then and there? He said just one thing. He said, go into Damascus. Just one thing. Take the first step. I think sometimes God wants to reveal plans and purposes for our life. And he gives us the first step. And he says, walk in it. Be obedient in the first step. The first step might be baptism. It might be starting a devotional plan. It might be changing career. It might be knocking on a person's door that you feel the Lord's tugging on your heart to go see. And it's once you do the first step, that then he opens up the plan that's next. So I want to ask you this morning, what is your next step in your life? Because we saw this um, all throughout the book of Acts, and I'm going to get into that in a minute. I'm just trying to quickly move through this. All right. So he's sent to Ananias. We know about this. We've read it before. And Ananias speaks to him, and he was able to see. Now, I want you to notice that in the book of Acts that there is a pattern. And the pattern is this. The Lord uses people to reach people. The Lord always uses people to reach people. The Ethiopian eunuch needed to hear the the word of God. So he says to Philip, go down the desert road to Gaza. First step. And he's obedient. And then... Once he's there, the Lord reveals the plan and Philip reveals the truth through the prophet Isaiah to the um, Ethiopian eunuch. Cornelius is there with an angel. Why doesn't the angel just finish off the story and say, Cornelius, this is what you have to do? No, I'm going to send you to Joppa, to Peter. And Peter's there on, on the roof and the Lord says to him, go down the go down the stairs, here's the first step, don't ask any questions and just go with the men. Well, he goes down the stairs and because he's Peter, he asks questions, but then he goes with them. And then the, the thing is unveiled. There's the, the first step again. Paul here is with Jesus and Jesus is speaking. Why didn't Jesus just say to Paul, Paul, blah, 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 blah. Now he sends him to Ananias because the Lord uses people to reach people, and it is the same today because the book of Acts is not a closed book. He's still using you to reach people. It might be tomorrow in your workplace that the Lord says, take a first step, go talk to this person, and as you talk, he uses you to reach those people and to unveil his, his purposes for them. All right. So life after Christ is that he gets up and he goes to the Gentiles. So Paul's apologetics might have gone like this. I once thought like you. I thought I was right. And I was passionate about the way just as you are. But I had to be shaken out of my self-righteousness to see that I was wrong. And because of the grace of Christ, I'm now a changed person and it's no longer I who live for myself, but I live for him who changed me. That was his testimony. And that was his opportunity to speak to the people that he loved. And the crowd listened to Paul 
until he said this. What did he say? He said, go, I'll send you to the Gentiles. Paul said a naughty word to them. He said Gentiles. And they were listening up until that point. And as soon as he said that, nah, sorry, Paul, we cannot handle this. And they said, rid him of the earth. Where are we up to? Rid him of the earth, verse 22. He's not fit to live. See, when it comes to the message of Jesus, there are two choices. There is we either accept who he is and what he has done, or we reject who he is and what he has done. And 25 years earlier, the same people had Jesus there in front of him, and they personally rejected Jesus. Paul rejected Jesus. Now, some 25 years later, in a particularly this, the same scenario, here's an opportunity. You know, God is a God of the second chance. There is an always more opportunity, even if we reject Jesus, even if we have a time in our life where we turn away from him, there is always a second chance to come back. And here's the Jewish people's second chance. You rejected him, you killed him. Here's your chance to accept him as the Messiah, as your saviour. But no, they choose to reject the message. They rejected Jesus and now they reject the messenger. But we all have a second chance. We all have a third chance. We all have a fourth chance with the way of the Lord. So I might, I might end there, I reckon, because I actually want to give opportunities for, for people to share for, on their own. But before we do that, we're going to just share in the meal that Jesus shared with his disciples on the night that he was betrayed, a meal that represents what Jesus has done for us. That Jesus took upon himself the weight of our sin. And Rich is going to be talking about that in his home group. But what I find really, what really gripped me as I was preparing for this morning was the thought that when Jesus said to his disciples, take and eat my body which is broken for you, it's given for you, he didn't do so just for those people there. He did it for everyone who was to come and accept the message of Christ. And Paul was the reason why he was going to the cross. And Jesus died for Paul, even though Paul was responsible for his death, even though Paul rejected him. And it's the same for us in our lives, wherever you are at. You know what? You might think, I'm too far gone. Well, you're in good company with the Apostle Paul because he was too far gone in our minds, but not too far gone for the grace of God. Not too far gone for God to come and do something in his life and transform it and turn it around for good. Jesus died for Paul, the bad man, 
and Jesus died for you. No matter where you're at in your faith, no matter where you're at in your journey of life, no matter whether you feel good enough or bad enough or up to it, that's not the point. Jesus in his mercy died for you so that you might have a new life in him and share in the story that is, this is my life beforehand. This is my, my experience of Christ and now this is my life to lead. So I'm going to invite the band up. And God might be pulling on your heart strings this morning to share your own story of grace, your own story of transformation that would encourage us. As, we, as the, the band sing and as we, we share in this meal together, um, can I encourage you to think about whether the Lord's asking you to do that this morning? Let's stand together. Lord, we thank you for your love for us that was so great that you would come into this world, that you'd take on human flesh, that you'd enter into our mess of life, that you'd experience everything that it meant to be human because you loved us so dearly. And you could see how the sin was tearing us apart, making us not be in right relationship with you. And thank you that you came and you sacrificed yourself in order that we might know you more deeply and come to faith in you. So Lord, thank you that on the night you were betrayed, you took the bread and you broke it. You said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way at that same supper, you took the cup and you said, this is the blood of the new covenant shed for you and for many. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we do as the Lord has asked us to do and we share in this meal until the, the Lord's coming again. I invite you, this side, to uh, come down the outside, grab a piece of bread and, a, and the wine, and then come back up the middle, um, and then this side to maybe come back through this way as well. <laughs> I keep forgetting each time. You guys can work yourself out. But well, can we hold the cup and, and the bread, and can we eat together? And we're going to sing as we do that. And I just really ask that you consider what the Lord is saying to you in, in your life. stand together thank you Lord that we stand in your power of it being finished of the victory being won that sin is broken that the, the curtain in that temple is torn open and it's not just the, 
the chosen few that can make it in, but it's flooded open for every Jew, every Greek, every Gentile, every Australian to be able to rush in into your presence and to find freedom and newness of life because of your death and resurrection. So Jesus, we honour you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we take and we eat the body of our Lord Jesus that is given for you. Let's take and eat and feed on him. And the blood of our Lord Jesus that was shed for you and for me and for many. Let's drink. You may be seated. Now, I just wanted to open it up briefly if you wanted to share. But before I do, quite often we think, you know what, my story isn't big enough. It isn't bold enough. It isn't transformed enough, you know. I wasn't this bad person who had addictions or or whatever and, and things happened in my life. And I came across this quote Sorry, we're going to have to go back to the, the uh, PowerPoint again, Dave. The last, last picture, a quote from Louis Giglio, who he, he hears the same thing all the time. You know, my, my story isn't one of massive transformation. Let this be an encouragement to you. People say all the time, I don't have a good testimony because they think their story has to involve some dramatic story of change from bad to good. But Jesus didn't come to save people this way. Sin doesn't make us bad, it makes us dead. Jesus came to save by bringing the dead to life. And that is the same for each and every one of us who call on the name Jesus. And that's so amazing about your testimony. So does anyone have a story, a testimony that they'd like to share of their own example of this? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Mine's really, really quick, and that's just that we think Yasha come up. So. Oh, good. I'm glad I put right. that up then. Hi, everyone. I'm Lauren, if you don't know me. Um, do I have to say that? Um, mine's really, really quick. I grew up uh, going to church and knowing God and um, being a reasonably good Christian, I'd say. I then became a teenager, um, decided to move away from God, and then chose to live my life away from God. And I did that for a very long time. I don't know how many years, but it could have been about eight years. Um, and God came back to me. I had a lot of people praying for me over that time. He revealed himself to me, um, called me back home, and there's one or two things that I noticed from being away from God and being with God, and this is my testimony, really. It's that while I was away from God, I didn't feel any joy. Um, I was very happy, and I was having a lot of fun, but there was no joy, Um, like pure joy, and also there was no peace. So I would just say like that really reminded me of that about being dead because I don't really think people who don't know God have joy and peace. Um, They may have lots and lots of other things. They may may be very, very happy, but they don't have that. And I didn't have that, so um, I might not be perfect and I might not, you know, do all the right things, but I definitely have moments of joy and peace now because God's in my life again. So that's my testimony. Yeah. Thanks.
I was going to mention the other day how we were talking and you shared your testimony to me and I said, there needs to be a time when you need to share that in front of the congregation. Uh, Yeah, I knew what you were thinking. (laughs) Uh, My parents were Christians. We lived in a very small bush town between, oh, it was between five and ten. There was a church. There wasn't a children's church. Children sat in church and did what the adults did. And I hated it. (laughs) Um, Anyway, at 10, my mother died, and I never went to church again for 22 years. (laughs) And it was a horrible life. Anyway, during that time, I actually moved to Meadows, not far from where Sam lives now. And I became a distance runner. And one morning, I usually got up early, so probably 6, 6.30, just running around the green hills as the sun came up. And God just opened my eyes. And he said, I made this. And I made you. And I've never looked back. So you're in God's country, Sam. Yeah, thanks, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, you do well. Yeah. Hello. Um, I am. Uh, I'm from Japan. And today is a guest, but I want to uh, I want to say something about my uh, amazing experience with Lord. Uh, almost 30 years ago, I stayed at uh, Russell's house as a student homestay, and at that time, I didn't realize I didn't know Jesus, but gradually. I know, and then I became a Christian. I, bab- I was baptized at uh, Ali Park Baptist Church. Um, Mike uh, baptized me. It's amazing. I became a Christian. And I, after uh, going back to Japan, I was, uh, I had very hard time. And then I didn't go church for a long time. I, I lost my way. But um, one day, uh, I suddenly realized um, Lord planned everything for us, suddenly. And then I got a scholarship. Uh, from my uh, states, and then come to Australia for only short five weeks studying at Gold Coast, and then Lord gave me chance to visit my Australian parents, Russell's house, Bev and Mike. It's amazing, and 
I'm so glad to come here, especially with my Australian parents. I'm so glad. And today, this morning, my heart knows Jesus. Why I come here? Exactly, I knew. Exactly. And I have some plan to go to Rwanda this year, but I am sure Jesus, that's Jesus' plan. I'm sure. Thank you. Thank you. I think it's amazing that this Sunday was the Sunday that you were here to give testimony, and wow, isn't it? God, God ordained that. <laughs> just, just to add to that, to put it in some context, that because of Yumiko's uh, really tragic time when she went back to Japan, uh, God has used the pain that she suffered, and she now has a heart as a Japanese person uh, to want to minister to the people in Rwanda who have been so uh, damaged by the civil war there with the Tutsis and the uh, Hutentots, whatever, the Hutu, thank you. And uh, so she's now, God has opened a door for a Japanese person who has no contact with Africa (laughs) through an amazing set of circumstances to find herself now uh, being able to go to Africa and minister to these women who have been devastated by all the tragedy of, of that thing. It's just extraordinary that you don't know if you take the first step. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Yeah, it's just a wonderful story. Yeah, amazing. Mm. Perhaps there's one more. Thanks, Barb. Hi, I'm Barb. Um, if I hadn't seen that, I wouldn't be standing here. Um, I was adopted as a child and lived in a home that was a Christian home that didn't have any love. I had a sister. I I have a lovely sister now, but growing up we were from different families and she used to say to me, I wish I had a real sister. Um, My mum and dad didn't have a lot of love between them, but my mum did love me. And we did go to church. Um, for whatever reason, as, a, as an adopted child, I could not stand to be hugged. I would stand ramrod still, um, even as a two-year-old. I did not like affection. Um, and my family was not affectionate anyway. But in me, it came out as not outwardly rebellious, but... I felt like I didn't have to follow anybody's rules, that I didn't belong to anybody, so I could basically do whatever I wanted to do. Um, And that's basically what I did. Um, And it was many years later that I found, found God for myself. And someone stood over me with a prophecy and said, I see your adoption certificate stamped child of God. And from then, I have felt loved. I used to be a child who would, who would never ever speak in class, who would never ever step out um, outwardly and offer to do anything. You know, we recently moved house and I found all my school reports. 
every single one from tiny to high school said she could do more in class, she doesn't participate, she doesn't speak out, she just sits in the corner sort of thing. Um, anybody who knows me now knows that's not me anymore, and that's because God loves me. Oh, this is so good. I just want to keep going. <laughs> Maybe just one more and then we'll, we'll wrap up our time. Does anyone else want to share? Nope. All right. I'm wondering, can we pray for you? For your, you've got a heart's desire to go to Rwanda. Um, it'd be great for us as a church just to pray over you and pray for that the God-given stirring in your heart. So, so the Lord's spoken to you. He's, he's given you a, a mission and what your next, next step is that you would walk in it. So can we, can we pray for you? Yeah. Yeah, Lord, we thank you for this young lady. We thank you for the way that you've touched her life. We thank you for the way the Russells have been involved in, in leading her to, to know you and to, to be uh, inspired by you and to come to faith in you. And Lord, thank you that you use every part of our lives for your purposes. And we can see that at work even today, that today of all days where we're speaking of, of testimony, that she is here and able to bear witness to what you've done in her life. And that encourages us so much. So thank you, Lord, for that. But Lord, we also know that you use the things that have happened in her life and are going to uh, used to catapult her into her desire to reach these women in Rwanda. And so, Lord, we just pray that you'd be opening doors for her, that the first steps of just getting there, that she'd be obedient in that, and that after she gets there, just like Philip on the way down to the, on the road to Gaza, that there she would know what you were calling her to, and you'd open up huge things, huge ministry opportunities, that young people will come to faith in you through her, her message and her ministry. So Lord, just uh, encourage her, empower her. We just pray your, your presence go before her, protect her, and uh, that she would be used for your purposes and for your glory. And that just like we see in the book of Acts through and through, that you would use her to reach people because that is your plan. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, if you need to go get your kids, uh, I'll release you to, to do that now. Um, and we're just going to end by finishing by singing a song together uh, for our time together. So, but if you need to go get your kids, feel free to go do that to relieve uh, our volunteers. We're just going to sing uh, to end the service by, by singing one last song. Let's give glory to our God for all that he's done this morning and all that he's doing in our lives.
It's been a great morning and thank you to everyone that's come up today and shared. It's been really encouraging and uh, yeah, just wonderful. So feel free to hang around for a bit now, grab a coffee. Um, The cover will be up out on the deck, so go and enjoy beautiful scenery and the sunshine. And if you'd like prayer for anything, there'll be some people in the prayer room who would love to pray with you. So thanks for coming. God bless. Have a great week.